first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Huda, and welcome back to the Cash Street Chronicles podcast. I'm your host as usual, Brendan Ertle, and you guys have been hitting me up with your questions about the COVID-19, what's going to happen with the NFL, and truthfully, I have no clue. So I brought in a professional today, Dr. Angela Rasmussen, Associate Research Scientist at Columbia University. Dr. Rasmussen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brendan. Now, tell us a little bit about your research that you're doing at Columbia University. So I study the host response to emerging viruses. Um, I look at basically both the virus as well as what your body does when it infects you. And I work on a lot of different emerging viruses. So in the past, um, I've worked on Ebola quite a bit, influenza, uh, MERS coronavirus, SARS classic. And now, like many of my colleagues, I'm also working on SARS coronavirus 2 or COVID-19. That's great because Governor Edwards in Louisiana actually said uh, the cases have actually taken a step back in terms of numbers. Is that just like a product of 4th of July and families getting together or is this something that we actually need to worry about in spreading cases? It's definitely something we need to worry about um, all around the country. Uh, We've seen that in the states that are the hardest hit right now that are experiencing this huge surge in cases, it's not just the 4th of July. Um, In fact, We're looking at, uh, usually you don't start to see cases climb until about two weeks after people were exposed. Um, So what we're seeing in in places like Arizona and Texas uh, is the result of reopening essentially too quickly. So this is not just people getting together for a holiday weekend, having a party. It's people um, basically going out into the world going to bars, going to restaurants, um, maybe not wearing masks just being out more around other people in the community. And as a result, community transmission has increased. So we all need to be very cautious, even in states like I'm in Washington state right now, um, that, that really managed to, you know, crush the curve, flatten the curve, whatever term you want to use. 
we never, none of us ever really got rid of the virus. And cases are starting to tick up even in places like uh, Washington State where we reopened very cautiously and very slowly. So this is something that we all need to be concerned about wherever we are, um, because there really is no safe way to completely reopen without having a vaccine. That, that's really interesting because what you said about slowing the spread, I mean, football fans are used to going to games with 70, 80, 90,000 people in the stadium. And that just isn't going to be reality this year. But for the fans that maybe do get to go to the game, the few fans, is wearing a mask or sitting a couple seats across from your friend that you invite or is wearing a mask at a football game going to protect you from the yelling and screaming from other fans? It's not. Um, So masks uh, only function effectively as source control, meaning that um, if you're wearing a mask, it's not protecting you. It's protecting the other people around you from the respiratory droplets that you're producing. Um, I personally don't feel that there's any safe way for fans to attend football games. And I'll tell you from personal experience, I'm a Seahawks fan. Uh, Sorry, Saints (laughs) fans. Um, But you know, we pride ourselves, the 12s, on being extremely loud at games. And uh, I've um, told my family um, to, to suspend our season tickets for this year. So we're not going to lose our season tickets, but I don't think it's safe for anybody to be going to any games. I'm really uh, I'm concerned that the NFL is going to try to have some sort of modified fan attendance, um, and I just don't see that being a safe situation for anybody. As you pointed out, um, you know, sometimes there are 70 to 90,000 fans in a full uh, capacity stadium. They're yelling, they're producing a lot of respiratory droplets. And even in stadiums that are outdoors, such as CenturyLink Field, the stadium that I go to, um, I I think that there's really a, a strong potential for football games to be what we would call a super spreader event in which people are yelling, creating huge clouds of respiratory droplets Um, And fans are sitting in those clouds of respiratory droplets for an extended period of time. Uh, Certainly, when I get up to go grab another beer or go to the bathroom during a game, um, you're really, really close to people, uh, all the people in your row as you sort of sneak your way out. Um, Bathrooms are enclosed spaces, which also increase the risk of transmission Uh, If they're very crowded, which they usually are at football games, I think that there are just so many opportunities for transmission to occur um, at football games that it really is, uh, unfortunately for all of us football fans, not very safe to go to a football game at all. Yeah, and you said like you're a season ticket holder, I'm a season ticket holder, and I know throughout the year, tons of other fans are going to want to get back to their normal life and attend these games. Are there requirements that we can hit throughout the year to maybe get a few more thousand people in the stadium each week? Or is that something not realistic? I don't think that's realistic um, because short of being able to rapidly test everybody who's walking into the stadium, there's not really uh, a way to, to quickly screen out people who might be infected. One of the biggest problems with this virus is that it can be spread by people who are not yet symptomatic. So doing something like a temperature check at the, the gate when you go in through security would be relatively ineffective because many of the people who are actually sick aren't going to have a fever that you can detect. Um, so apart from being able to test everybody as they walk in, which uh, isn't, you know, isn't 
feasible. Um, and certainly that would, given that we uh, have problems, still have problems with testing capacity, I don't think you could justify um, using tests in that manner just so that people could attend a football game. I think that there's really no safe way to guarantee that infected people who are capable of transmitting the virus um, can be kept out of games. Uh, and, and in fact, it's not that people are intentionally you know, putting themselves uh, into high-risk situations if they're infected because most of the, the pre-symptomatic people spreading it aren't actually aware that they're infected and may not be aware that they've been exposed even. So it's really um, impossible, I think, to, to guarantee that you would be able to let any fans in safely, given what we know about how this virus can effectively silently spread from people who aren't aware that they're infected with it. That's interesting. So it kind of sounds like f having fans in the stadium is the best case scenario. And the worst case scenario for, for football fans is just to be able to watch on the TV. So if there are no fans in the stands, is there precautions that the players themselves can take dur during the game? Can they do hand sanitizer throughout the game? Can they switch the footballs? What kind of things can they do to protect the players during the game? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's something that the NFL needs to um, – to, to figure out. Uh, I, I haven't actually seen the NFL's plan, so I'm not sure if they have one that, that's well thought out. But some things that they can do to protect the players um, and the staff from each other is to perhaps put face shields on the helmets um, to, to prevent them from being able to breathe on each other effectively. Um, hand sanitizer would certainly be great to have. Um, although I think, you know, the biggest risk with football itself has to do with the nature of the game. I mean, just look at like along the line of scrimmage, you have a bunch of people lining up, getting into each other's faces and yelling at each other, breathing heavily at each other. And then they oftentimes are in very close physical contact when they're tackling each other or blocking. Um, and all of those things are fairly high risk situations in which players are going to be exposed to each other. Um, in close physical proximity and potentially be exposed to the other other players respiratory droplets so again if the players themselves uh, are infected and aren't aware of that um, they could expose other players on their own teams and on the opposing team with coaches with coaching staff i mean we've all seen how crowded locker rooms can be and uh and people are you know very in very close proximity in locker rooms and enclosed spaces on the sidelines, there's a lot of crowding as people, you know, gather along the sidelines and move up and down the field with the ball. Um, referees certainly are, uh, game officials are in close proximity to all the players while they're playing. So they really need to figure out ways that people can either be masked and or wear face shields um, to prevent the, to reduce the spread of respiratory droplets in the immediate environment around those players. They need to figure out ways to keep the locker room, uh, population down um, and to, to avoid crowding in the locker room or any enclosed spaces in the team's facilities. Um, and they need to make sure that players have access to regular testing. I think that it's really interesting to see what the NBA is doing right now um, in terms of creating this bubble um, that players are required to be in and, and can't really leave. Um, it's not a complete uh, bubble that's completely isolated from the rest of the community, of course, because there are staff at the hotels that the NBA players are staying in um, that are coming and going. So it's not a, a complete lack of risk, um, but it's certainly helpful to sequester 
all the players um, to reduce their exposure in the community, that should um, reduce the, the risk of them bringing the virus into their locker rooms and into the, the field of play or the, the court. Um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the NBA because that potentially could be a model for the NFL, um, given that both basketball and football require very close physical contact just because of the nature of the game. Um, but I think there's always going to be a risk given that, you know, we're not going to have um, socially distanced football. I don't think anybody would want to watch socially distanced tackle football. Um, I don't, well, first of all, that's not possible, but um, I, I just don't see how uh, you could ever make it completely safe for the players. But I think you could take measures um, both to, to reduce the risk to individual players as well as um, sequester the players, the coaches, and the staff um, in such a way that reduces their exposure to transmission in the community. I'm glad you brought up the rumor of uh, players wearing face guards. And the players, some players already wear an eye shield with like a glass eye shield to protect them, their eyes from pellets or whatnot. And there was a rumor that the players could wear something on their helmets to protect themselves. And the instant uh, uproar from the players was, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. But if it's going to keep them safe, they should do it. And the NFL has slowly been uh, doing certain things to protect these players. Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up is that players in the NBA don't wear gloves. And the NFL, they naturally, most, most positions wear gloves. Now, Drew Brees, most Saints fans know, when he comes up to the line, first thing he's doing is licking his fingers, both of them. And he does it all the time. Mm -hmm. And the first place, his, first place his hands are going is the football. And uh, the NFL actually said yesterday that they're going to ban jersey swaps after the game. So players can't switch jerseys with their friends after the game. And the players are not happy about that. But is, some, is playing football for three hours and then switching jerseys, is that really that big of a difference? Or is that something that could stop it, stop the spread? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that sort of thing is, you know, maybe it does reduce risk a little bit. But, I, you know, unless people are sucking on the jerseys and they've been, like, wiping their noses with them, um, or breathing through them or something, I, I don't really see jerseys themselves as being a huge issue. Now, that said, I mean, football is a sport in which players are all over the place, all over each other. Um, so certainly jerseys are, are covered with sweat. Sweat is not thought to be um, a, a vector of transmission for this virus, but certainly it's possible that if they're producing a lot of respiratory droplets, they're getting it on the jersey, um, that could be a potential exposure source, but I would think that that risk is much lower than, you know, just being around like their friends, um, being in close proximity to their friends. Uh, the act of switching jerseys is not so much the issue of the jersey, but of two guys like yelling and being in each other's space um, and celebrating and, and exposing each other to, their, to the respiratory droplets that they're producing when they speak and breathe and, and uh, communicate with each other. So, um, I mean, stuff like that, you know, there is a risk of what we call fomite transmission. So that's transmission from contaminated surfaces. So like Drew Brees licking his finger and touching the ball, that, that is a potential um, means of transmission if players are then holding that ball and touching their mouth or nose. Um, however, like people think that it, fomite transmission is, uh, is not the major driver of transmission for this virus. 
um, that major driver is respiratory droplets. So one thing I always try to, to explain to people is that viruses um, require a host to replicate. They can't replicate on their own. They need to have a host that they infect. And for this virus, um, as, as with all human pathogens, that host is us. So the, the biggest virus exposure you're going to get is through exposure to a host of that virus, not necessarily virus that's just sitting around in the environment on a surface. So, um, well, you know, I, I probably wouldn't advise a Jersey swap period anytime there's a, you know, a pandemic going on. But really, the, the bigger risk there is, I think, being in close proximity to the person you're swapping jerseys with and not the jersey itself. Yeah, like you said, the host is maybe the biggest part of it. And we've seen slowly college football, uh, the Power Five have canceled the non-conference games and whatnot. The hardest thing seems to be almost the travel of going back and forth to farther games. If the Saints were to tra travel to Seattle, that'd be a hard trip to take with all those 50, 60 players, plus all the staff. So what, what do you think the season will look like itself? Because they've already canceled two preseason games and training camp's coming up here in 20 days. So do you think we'll have a full 16-game season? That's an excellent question, and I would guess no. Um, but, you know, I think right now, at least the messaging that we've been getting from the Seahawks uh, as season ticket holders is that they are planning to have a full 16-game season um, for now. I think that a lot of this is really going to depend on what happens in the U.S. over the next few months. Um, and, I mean, we are at the time where people are going to training camp, and the preseason really starts in August. So we're almost there. Um, right now, in Texas, in Arizona, and in Florida, um, we are seeing, and in Georgia, we're seeing – you know, the results of this sort of unfettered reopening. Um, I think that it's going to make it very difficult for the NFL to justify the type of travel and the testing that might be needed for these players, um, given that this is the environment in the community. So one thing I'm very concerned about uh, with regard to these surging cases in these states that are now hotspots is that there's not only not enough testing, there's a huge backlog in terms of getting test results. Um, and it's really dangerous to ask people, uh, professional athletes, to be going back and forth um, between their communities and these communities where there's obviously, you know, unchecked uh, community transmission occurring, and there are limited resources for the people who live in those communities to, to get tested and then to seek care. Um, I think that you're right. The traveling thing is, is going to make it very difficult. And Unlike with the NBA, it's very difficult to get enough football stadiums to, to bring everybody into one geographic region and isolate them there. So this, this is a real problem, and I am very curious to see how the NFL is going to try to address that. Yeah, I'm really curious too. And like you said before, the, the NFL will kind of model itself after what the NBA, the NHL does maybe – but what's different is that these teams have hub cities where they're located at and they're there the whole time. And the difference between the NBA and the NFL is the NBA is going to be at Disney World the whole time. And they're not going to be able to leave or go anywhere else. But these NFL players are going to be traveling here and there. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with the NBA and how that turns out in terms of cases. If the NBA goes south, could you see something happening with other sports? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the NBA goes south, I think that's going to make it very difficult for other professional sports to justify coming back. And maybe there's sports like, you know, Major League Baseball, for example, is probably a lower risk than than NFL football or NBA or the NHL, um, just because it's a, you know, it's easier in baseball to maintain physical distancing and to keep players apart from each other. Same thing with, you know, things like the PGA Tour um, or, you know, professional tennis. Those sports are probably easier to make it safe for the players, especially if there are no fans um, congregating to watch uh, the game being played. I think that um, it's, it's a lot harder for games that require a lot of physical activity and exertion, which increases the amount of respiratory droplet production. Um, very close physical contact between players, which I mean, certainly the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL all have extremely close physical contact between players. Um, it's just very, it's going to be very difficult if the NBA, despite all the many precautions that they've taken, uh, has a, a huge problem with coronavirus spread within its player community. You're going to have a lot of NFL players, I suspect. I mean, there already are plenty who are uncomfortable with the idea of playing. You're going to have players who are just unwilling to play under those conditions. And I can hardly blame them because if, you know, if you get COVID, we are just starting to learn about some of the long-term consequences, especially on things like lung capacity, um, cardiac health. You're going to, I think you're going to be, it's going to be very difficult to convince players um, who rely on their, you know, peak um, performance, uh, their peak pulmonary, cardiopulmonary performance. Um, it's going to be really difficult to convince them that, that it's A, safe, and that B, it's something that couldn't have a long-term consequence for their career and their ability to perform at the professional level um, in the sports that they're playing. Yeah, exactly. And while, while I was just sitting here, too, I actually got a text saying um, players have an option to opt out this season. And uh, one high-level player that hasn't been named has asthma and is thinking about sitting out this season. So that's definitely something to look out for, players opting out this coming season. But my last question for you is, um, do you think we'll have an available vaccine by January 2021? So a lot of people have asked me this question. I think we will have some vaccine by 2021. The big question is going to be how effective is that vaccine? It's possible that it, we may have a vaccine, but one that's only partially effective. Um, so similar to the flu shot, you know, when every year they're like, oh, this year's flu shot is 60% effective. Um, that still has a measurable public health benefit because what that means is that you might still be able to get infected but your disease is going to be less severe. Um, so obviously it's, it's fine if people are still getting COVID, but they're not going to the hospital, but that's not the ideal vaccine. The ideal vaccine is one that prevents people from getting infected at all. I'm not sure that we'll have that by January, 2021, because uh, we are rushing through these phase three clinical trials, which are just starting this month. Um, normally phase three clinical trials for vaccines take years. Uh, and we're pretty much, I think, going to move forward with the first vaccine that shows some kind of efficacy, any kind of efficacy. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best vaccine. So the other issue with that by, you know, will it be available by 2021? We'll probably have some vaccine that's at least somewhat effective by early 2021. 
Will it be available for everybody? That's going to depend a lot on what kind of vaccine it is because that has implications for how that vaccine will be manufactured. And I have no doubt that it's going to be hugely controversial um, whoever gets priority and access to that vaccine first. Um, I would think that it would probably be something like frontline healthcare workers. Uh, I think that probably the priority for professional athletes getting access to that vaccine is going to be lower. Um, from a public health perspective, you want to vaccinate the people who are at the highest risk. Um, so that would mean frontline healthcare workers. That would mean um, other types of really essential employees. That would mean potentially then the people who are also the most vulnerable. So people working um, or living in nursing homes, uh, nursing care facilities, hospitals, things like that. Um, people who are in high risk groups. I think it's going to be very difficult to justify that vaccine being available in early 2021 for NFL players, um, coaches and staff and fans who just want to go to games. Well, that sounds like sort of good news. I was going to finish off the podcast with um, a prediction, but I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I was going to ask you your Super Bowl prediction um, because Saints fans are very uh, likely that – or they're, they're excited that this is their year. So my, my different prediction for you now is do you think we'll have a Super Bowl this year? That's why I said January 2021. Yeah, that, that – um... When I was like, oh boy, am I going to have to make a Super Bowl prediction? <laughs> I mean, obviously I picked the Seahawks because I always do. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think it's, there's a very good chance we won't have a Super Bowl because I think there's a very good chance we won't really have a, an NFL season. Um, I think a lot is going to depend on kind of what happens over the next couple months. And if, you know, if things get worse, especially nationwide, I could see the NFL starting to have an NFL season and then not finishing it. Um, and I would imagine that if it were a truncated NFL season, there probably wouldn't be playoffs and there probably wouldn't be a Super Bowl. Um, but but we'll see. I mean, I I would like there to be a Super Bowl, but I think, you know, this year is always, I think, going to have an asterisk next to it. Um, mm -hmm. So I almost feel bad if there is a Super Bowl for any teams that end up going because those will be like pandemic Super Bowl and it doesn't really count because it wasn't a usual season um, and maybe – Maybe if some of the, especially the marquee players opt out um, of playing, then you're going to have a situation where it's like, oh, the replacement refs, you know, we're still hearing about mm -hmm. that and people are complaining about that. I mean, certainly when the Seahawks beat the Packers um, because of the replacement refs, we still hear a lot about it in Seattle. Oh, yeah. um, I think if you end up playing with uh, maybe not full rosters or you play an incomplete season, I think even if there is a Super Bowl, people are always going to be like, well, that Super Bowl isn't as, you know, as, as good as a normal Super Bowl because it wasn't a, a normal year. Yeah, it definitely hurts some Saints fans' hearts knowing that it could possibly be Drew Brees' last year. And even if they do were to win the Super Bowl this year, it'd be the, the quote-unquote COVID Super Bowl. So tons of good information from Dr. Rasmussen. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You provided so much good information for us and hopefully answered a lot of NFL fans' questions. It was my pleasure to come on and hopefully, um, you know, the Seahawks will beat the Saints in the postseason. Just kidding. <laughs> well, I, I do hope that, but um, I know your fans uh, and your listeners probably don't want to hear that. But thanks again for having me on. I hope there is a postseason and I hope the Seahawks will be able to play the Saints during that. Yes, of course. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys there. Yeah, take care. 
Let's go! Let's go. We are-